0: with
1: you got my full attention uh, so thank you for that david so we so said we're looking at the two p's pra- um premises and the practitioner um one of the feedbacks i get from especially dentists because obviously that's my profession is we're so highly regulated already do we need more regulation are there other people that are either non-medics they're not getting regulated obviously that's the current situation what's your um answer to those dentists that are moaning about too much regulation
0: I absolutely understand that I think the idea here Harry is to minimise duplication of current registration that's really important that is a golden thread running through this yeah. so I'll give you some examples many um, I should say most of your listeners i.e. dentists will be working from, from CQC registered premises for example so It's very clear to us that premises that have already met the the CQC threshold should not be required to have a second premises license, for example. So I think it makes common sense to me that conversations are agreed between local authorities who will be responsible for implementing the new license, by the way, to be a local authority requirement, would naturally work alongside the CQC. What is different is this procedures such as botulinum toxin injections and dermal fillers are not currently regulated by the CQC at all. So they actually fall into an unregulated zone, as do quite a number of the procedures. So I think it is fair to say that as professionally regulated practitioners, we should have nothing to fear whatsoever with the new regulation. By the way, it won't be terribly expensive, Harry. Um, We imagine the annual cost of a license will be no more than about 1200 pounds. I can't give you an exact figure, absolutely can't, but it's not huge bucks, bearing in mind the actual, hopefully the business commercial business case you can put forward. Remember, most of your practitioners are also prescribers.
1: Yeah.
0: And of course, if you're a prescriber, then you will not require any form of supervision in your practice, once you've achieved the standards in the new license. What will be different is you're going to have to ensure that your insurance and that your complaints procedures are absolutely correct and robust. Well they should be if you're a registered healthcare practitioner anyway, yes. but you will need to demonstrate you meet the new training standard hurry. Okay. And that might be a challenge for many people, not not academically, but the fact is Many of our doctors, nurses, dentists, physiotherapists, et cetera, have not got that current standard of education recorded on a certificate. So we need to look at alternatives to just qualifications, experience, for example. But that's a conversation for next year, Harry. So in my view, the I think the investment in the additional education training and the standards way out way, they way out way beyond any doubt, a threat to patient safety, public protection. But you'll also get that kite mark above the door to say, we are fully competent, proven to deliver this service.
1: Perfect. thank you for that Dave. And you obviously see my next one, the next one is level seven, the post grad qualification. Where do we sit with that?
0: Well, that's a really good question. Um, I'm. A lot of people have asked me that question and the level seven qualification came out of the AGE framework, Harry. Yeah. So the idea of level seven was terribly simple. When you qualify as a dentist or as a doctor, you qualify academically at level six. Yeah. That's what our undergraduate training takes us to. So logically, any education and training we, t- we undertake above that initial qualification should take us to level seven, which is postgraduate. Yes. But remember, nobody has ever said that a postgraduate level of learning has to be linked to the award of a master's degree or a postgraduate diploma. Yes. It's the level of the learning which is at postgraduate level, things such as the important issues around risk assessment, risk analysis, risk management planning, differential diagnosis. For nurses, that includes prescribing, by the way, because that's postgraduate. nurses. So I'm pretty confident that the new education and training standard, when it's discussed and agreed by DHSC, Harry, um, in the next couple of years, 18 months to two years, will definitely expect learning to take place at a level above and beyond the undergraduate level. So I hope we don't call it level seven in the future, but I think we need, we'll, we'll be calling it the standard okay. for um, aesthetic practice, which will be leveled at a postgraduate level of learning and cognitive understanding and reasoning.
1: OK, thank you for that clarification, David. It's a
0: complex question in many ways, and one you could give a quick answer to, but trying to describe it like that I think is more helpful. Level 7 gets a bit confusing to some people.
1: Yeah, and that leads us to training academies, because obviously, like anything we know yes. this is bad, this is terrible. Will there be some kind of register or regulation for training providers?
0: I I would absolutely hope so, Harry, and would expect so, Harry. So the training providers, they're very variable. I'm not going to go into that conversation. You made the point very well. Um, So, yes, training providers in the future, once that new education and training standard is set by government, I'm calling it an industry standard at the moment, that would then have to apply to any educational establishment or qualification provider that would need to be benchmarked against that new standard, which naturally tells you and I, there needs to be a register of who those providers would be.
1: Okay, yeah, definitely. Thank you for that. Um, going back a little bit, you mentioned obviously prescribers and non-prescribers. So we train a lot of dental hygienist, dental therapists. Um, they have their degree. Yep. At the moment, they cannot do the V300 to become a prescriber. So two-part question: Do you see that changing for them in terms of vp hundred, and if it doesn't, will they be allowed to do facial aesthetics under supervision? Mimit.
0: Yes, it's a very good question, isn't it, Harry? I can't, it's almost too detailed for me to give you a definite answer. I understand the question only too well. I talk to your dental hygienist colleagues regularly, but I only spoke last week to a very senior colleague in yeah. that industry about this. In fact, the group are actually currently applying for exemptions um, within the prescribing relations for aesthetic procedure, particularly for rescue, So, which I completely understand. Here's the answer, I think. Once the government approves the new standard, they will also have to approve, Harry, which professionals they believe should be entitled to supervise other practitioners who are working in the sector, who aren't regulated. Now, that list, beyond any doubt, would include um, dentists, of course, I believe dental therapists, I can't see why not. And of course, I've made a strong case for dental hygienists as well, I always have. Um, that's something that Jane Reynolds and I understand well. Um, but the question is, because they're not in, currently entitled to prescribe or to undertake the V300, course, as you quite correctly state, would that disqualify any group? I would hope not. I think it will start to level things and to say, right, now we need to widen access to enable people to undertake those post-qualifying courses, such as the V300. But again, it's going to be within the scope of practice, yes. which will be defined in those specific areas of the, but well, in this case, anatomically, it could be. Well, it has to be quite careful. But then same thing is true of podiatrist and chiropodist at the other end of the body,
1: isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay, no, thank you, David. Um, you mentioned also advertising standards because we know what's toxins are PRM. Mm-hmm. And we teach our delegates who are not allowed to advertise PRMs and then they, and I can understand they're frustrating that everyone down the road is advertising on social media PRMs, even though it is illegal. We don't see much enforcement by ASA or MHRA is that part of the new framework to really clamp down already, on advertising?
0: Already yeah. there, Harry. That is a that's a good news story. Um, I can assure you, it is it will, it will be central to the new framework. But the Advertising Standards Authority have already accepted numerous complaints that we have submitted for exaggerated, false, dishonest advertising. Of course, advertising a POM is, is absolutely illegal. So there is now going to be a major crackdown on that. It's happening now, but there will be an announcement very soon, Harry, on how the ASA are really taking this incredibly seriously. And all credit to them, they've done an amazing job there.
1: Hey, thank you. Um, hey, timelines. You briefly mentioned it in your detailed answers. Um, what kind of time frame are we looking at?
0: Yeah. Well, again, I just let you know, Harry, there were 11,800 responses to the consultation on the procedures to be included in the actual licence. I mean, that's quite a lot to wade through. So my guess is, says David, we, I don't expect the Department of Health and Social Care to come out of the other side of that analysis till probably March, even April next year. But that won't stop them setting off... A number of other key work streams. So, what am I suggesting? I see the implementation of the license in England some at some point in 2026. Okay. If you'd asked me that two years ago, which people did, I'd have said ridiculous, far too long, absolutely wrong. It takes time to get it right. So answer your question, 2026, but I would hope there would be a two-year period thereafter to enable practitioners to meet all of the standards as well. Because once it's fully in and enforced, it will become a legal, it will be, there will be legal sanctions. It will be illegal to actually practise without a licence. So there will be significant consequences, but you've got to give people time to know what the standards are going to be. Then we can prepare for those. The licence comes in 2026. Yeah. So I hope we know the standards sometime around mid 2025, at the latest. Okay. That gives us a year to get it all ready, then a further two years thereafter. So we've got some time, but not as much time as some people wish. But if you're working from a CQC registered prep, um, premises or you've actually got your prescribing, which of course you have as your registered dentist at the moment, appreciate our dental hygienists, bless them, haven't got that yet. And I fully respect their concerns about that. There will be plenty of time to get that sorted.
1: Okay perfect thank you yeah i know it's, it's like a politician you're asking a politician for a set answer, and there's so many variables so you cannot give a definite time frame yeah um um near the end um if um our listeners want to find out more information or more updates or the latest updates where do they get posted or how do they find out
0: yes um i think there'll be a slow drip feed from the department of health and social care because give them all credit, there's not a lot they can tell us at the moment until they go through the analysis. So we're providing on our website very, very regular updates. And any listener is entitled to access the JCCP website. All you do is just go literally on, literally go online, put in JCCP, you'll see the website pops up. There's a news feed on the front page. Harry, also to tell you that we don't charge for joining the JCCP register. It's a free service. So Again, your registrants are in, or your sorry your your members and colleagues and listeners are entitled to join. Of course, if they join, then they're going to get a regular news feed fed to them. But that's not for me to market the JCCP. That's not what I'm about. But that option is there if you do want to website again. There's a join now button. But we'll be feeding that regularly. We also host Harry regular JCCP webinars, which are well advertised, and you're entitled to join those as well.
1: No, no, definitely not. I I was a member many, many years ago. So the regular updates are really useful because you're my news source for anything to do with regulation. Um, Well, we
0: do disseminate it. It's important. It's generosity of common sense in the public interest. So We are very much a charity. So I think that's the point I'm making. We have no commercial interest. Therefore, push it out there is the question. And then also be a listening organisation and respond.
1: Okay, yeah, definitely. Um, Last final question is anything that the listeners can do to prepare themselves for the regulation be a step ahead?
0: Yes, I think it's a very good question. I would just say, Harry, one of the things in the consultation that I found really very interesting, and it seems to be working quite well, is the fact that those procedures that are probably on the darker side of the challenge, i.e. breast buttock augmentation, the threads, some of the hair restoration surgery, the lipolysis, these kind of issues, we're already seeing a great interest of CQC accepting kind of oversight of those procedures. I reckon they could also be determined as surgical going forward, which would mean that would very much take them into the CQC camp, which makes it a little bit closer to what our dentists believe. But the question would be, what would the Royal College of Surgeons say, Harry, if a dentist or a GP even, I'm pushing this out very broadly now, were to suddenly undertake invasive surgery? So it's got a very interesting future on how certain procedures fall in to regulated and defined scope and camps of practice. So, what can we do to prepare? I think first of all, be absolutely clear where we believe our proficiency resides with regard to the procedures. Yes. Read the J, the read the JCCP, read the DHSC's consultation paper that was published um in at the at the um, end of August. actually it was first first week of September. It ran for ten weeks. and concluded on the 28th of October. Why say that, Harry? It lists the procedures that the government is interested in bringing into the licence or into the CQC domain. Um, And I think, again, it would help your your listeners to read those and to think, ah, I provide those three, five, seven types of procedure. Am I really up to date with those? And that's another question. Um, You just need to ask yourself the question, where am i on the scale of 1 to 10 on my post graduate my post qualifying education and training journey right. and if i were to present myself to a driving test centre to do my theory and my practice um literally next week how do you think i would do it on as actually pass or fail so preparing is good yes. What i wouldn't recommend people rush to do quali- and to take qualifications yet we don't know what the new standard will be, Harry. Yeah. And a lot of people have said, oh, tell me who I should go and get trained with next week. Of course, I could tell you what I think, but we don't know what the new standard is yet. Yeah. Um, I think the other thing is to really review your practice with regard to prescribing. Make sure you're using and sourcing from an ethical, legal source. It sounds pretty obvious. Your products, your machines, your devices, and your medicines, because that's going to change and make sure you're advertising your services effectively and legally. If you can do all of those things, you're not doing too badly. JCCP publishes one document or two documents that you might like to refer to. One is our guidelines on responsible prescribing, which the GDC supports and other professionals. Worth having a read of it. It's online. You can get it from our website and free, of course, but it just helps you to it helps you to challenge some of your thinking. Mm -hmm. And the other, we have a code of practice that we produced um, with the CPSA, the Cosmetic Practice Standards Authority, that builds on the regulatory codes of our professionals, but also really takes us into the really important questions for safe, ethical, effective evidence-based practice, Harry. So that I think would be another useful update for colleagues. Again, they're on the website.
1: I don't know if I'm sad or not. But I haven't read both documents. So.
0: <laughs> you are sad, Harry. You are sad. <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, thank you. That's. I think the why they're there useful documents, Harry, they're not there just to be clever. They're there to collect, mm-hmm. I think, the, the key issues that we're all trying to confront to demonstrate best ethical practice and so many of your guys do that perfectly but there's no harm in having a refresher.
1: Yeah obviously mine was due with the one for my personal interest but also as a training academy we need to keep up to date and when we answer yeah. questions from our delegates we need to give them the latest True. information. Yeah
0: you've no excuse Harry no you're quite right I think with delegates it's absolutely right that we're on our toes there so we can actually be challenged ourselves through peer learning and peer discussion. And I learned so much from delegates. You're absolutely right. And it's a constant update, isn't it? And I think that's very useful.
1: Yeah. Um, one final question, nothing to do with regulation. Um, I know you're a very busy man, you travel a lot. What do you do in your spare time?
0: Well, do you know what? I do get a lot of spare time. It's surprising. I do read an enormous amount. And I've got a, quite a lot, you can't see, because it's too dark, but I've got a, a pretty nice garden out there that I, actually quite enjoy sitting in and reading, but also quite a bit of practical work, but also walking dogs, something I love very much. And I do have quite a few holidays. Okay. I get at least six weeks a year, holidays away. And I really find that useful. And finally, I do have two grandchildren, which take up a little bit of time as well, mm-hmm. particularly now they're getting to that age of 12 and 13, Harry. So plenty to occupy me, let me say, when I'm not thinking about aesthetics. <laughs>
1: You can do my gardening. I, I that's my pet hate gardening. I cannot stand.
0: There you go. Well, I must say, mine's up. Mine's up to date, so it's so a bit. It's maintenance as opposed to the heavy slog. So I'd probably go on your side if I had to start <laughs> from scratch. <laughs> no,
1: no, no. Thank you, David, for um, one your time and your um, experience, knowledge, expertise, viewpoint. Um, obviously, a man definitely on the pulse of current situation and what's happening in the future. So I'd like to thank you for my listeners for all the advice and um, information you're given. Um, And I'm sure they'll see you in some of these conferences, um, exhibitions, obviously I last saw you at the Hampton Fraser ABC conference, which was-
0: Yes, we were there, yep. I remember seeing you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But just remember,
0: Harry, that the new license is intended to enable any person to demonstrate proficiency but it will be a levelling qualification or standard that will require everybody to demonstrate that they can actually meet that standard. Only then can they apply for the licence and be awarded. And I think that's quite important, really. Yeah. It will it will actually remove unwarranted variation, but will give certain professionals, professors and others a chance to be recognised with merit and not be debased to some have been in a hierarchical fashion. So. If you can do the job, prove you can do the job, then bring it on. I think there's nothing to fear.
1: And uh, the ultimate aim is patient safety, patient interest, and there's clinics that offer advanced treatments to injectables, to skin treatments. You need different professionals doing each part of those treatments because the patient's gonna get the best result.
0: Uh, Absolutely, Harry, and I mean, you couldn't have left it at a better point because the whole point about effectiveness and safety go together. I mean, I'll just be honest, I was chairing a conference on Monday in Manchester, co-chairing a conference, and I saw a host of different procedures being evidenced through presentations. We've all seen them, but yeah. do you know what? If you really sit and chair and you listen to what's being presented and you look at the machines, and you look at that 120,000 pounds machine, and you think, oh, anyone can do that. But yeah. when you start to look at the anatomical application, And where you have to apply it um, with regard, for example, to muscle tone, the effectiveness of getting it right for the patient who's paid an enormous amount of money for that procedure is as equally important as the patient safety aspect of a deep injectable. So I do agree. It's not a simple thing. There's a lot of art and science that goes behind this. Plus, you've invested in your careers. So it's absolutely right and proper that we celebrate that on the basis of competence and proficiency, and not just allow anybody to undertake these procedures just by going online and buying a machine, literally on monthly instalments. It's um, yeah. you understand what I mean? I mean you can still do that, but as a business plan. But my point is, don't just you should not just be permitted to go and buy something online and then set up business in the back garden. You know, it's just not right,
1: <laughs> unless the is not as nice as yours.
0: Well, that's true.
1: Then, <laughs> yeah. uh, thank you so much, David, um, for that. Yeah, I'm sure the listeners will enjoy that, and I'm sure there'll probably be more questions coming out in the next few weeks and months as we get more updates. We will.
0: Thank you very much, Barry. It's been lovely being with you all. Thanks thank you lot, very David. much for your and for listening. Thank you.
1: Take care. Thanks a lot. Bye.